Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rathnalis. As a kid, I did not have a good relationship with my bedroom. In fact, for many years, I didn't sleep in my bedroom. Instead, I slept on the floor of the living room or in other areas of the house. Eventually, I did move into the bedroom, mostly because my mother really wanted me to. She thought it was more proper. The big problem was is that my bedroom sat outside of my sister's bedroom. So, for them to get to their bed, they had to walk through my bedroom. That might have been fine when I was an infant, but as I grew older, I started to not like the constant walking through of my bedroom 24-7. It would wake me up. It would disturb my private time. There had to be another solution. The problem was, there wasn't a lot of rooms in our house. So I suggested something to my mother. A crazy idea, actually. An idea that I'd seen on a ton of sitcoms. I would move into the basement. I would have said attic, but our attic was not complete. Well, come to think of it, neither was our basement, but I could walk around our basement, even with its concrete floor. My mother was not a fan of this idea, since the basement wasn't complete. She thought it would get too cold, which it would have, but she also was kind of sick of hearing me complain constantly, so she gave me permission to try it out. I remember that the day after she said okay, I packed up everything from my bedroom and cleaned out a space downstairs and started setting up shop. We didn't have power running everywhere in the basement, but one corner had a nice plug in it, but I figured that would be a good place to plug in my television and lamp. So I cleaned out all that area, I moved in, I was very excited. What was really cool is that it was the summer, so it was 10 or 15 degrees cooler in the basement than upstairs, and I was accustomed to sitting upstairs under the air conditioner most of the time complaining, but in this newfound basement, no problem. That night, I laid in bed, turned on my television, and watched the shows I normally watch. And since nobody was there to interfere, I watched a little bit more late-night television, including The Twilight Zone. Unfortunately for me, the episode that was on was one that had a very strong effect on me. It had a very strong effect on me before I had seen it this time. And it's called It's a Good Life, and that's the episode where the little kid has powers over everyone else, makes him godlike. And before that night, it had freaked me out to no end. In the basement, where I'd never been before, where it was this big, cavernous, dark space, it freaked me out big time. And maybe after about an hour of sitting there in the dark trying to fall asleep, I turned on the TV, sat up for another hour trying to sleep, and then gave up and went upstairs and slept on the floor of the living room. The next morning, my mother said, What happened? I said, Well, it's not so nice down there. I think I'd rather sleep up here. She said, Well, you can't sleep up here. You're going to have to sleep either down there or in your room. She took the initiative. Got to admire that in a mother. I chose my room, and from that point on, I would sleep in there despite the constant interruptions. My mother didn't know it at the time, but the Twilight Zone was a useful parenting aid. I think it was at least a month or two before I started watching it again in my room at night. Oddly enough, having my sisters constantly walking through was very reassuring, and I found that I could watch a lot more scary stuff when they were around. So, while it might have been inconvenient to have them walking through, it was not something I was going to wish them into the cornfield over.
On today's show, we're going to talk about The Twilight Zone, one of my favorite television shows of all time. We'll talk about the show's creator, its production, its reception, the music, the writers, its availability on home video, and we'll throw in many, many more surprises. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. of you who are living in a cave and have never turned on a television set, The Twilight Zone was a science fiction, fantasy, anthology television series created by the great Rod Serling. It would run on CBS from 1959 to 1964. As I said, it is an anthology television series, so the stories are unrelated, are often paranormal or science fiction-y in theme, and revolve around odd events happening to the characters. At some point in the show, there'll be a twist, and then hopefully a lesson is learned, sometimes a very powerful lesson. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of The Twilight Zone, I'd like to talk a little bit about the creator of the show. I thought about going into greater detail about Rod Serling, but I think I'm going to try to cover Rod Serling in a future show all by himself. Rodman Edward Serling was born in 1924 in Syracuse, New York, and passed away in 1975 at the age of 50 in Rochester, New York. This guy was pretty awesome. He was a boxer, a paratrooper, and an incredible writer. Before creating The Twilight Zone, he was known for writing things like Requiem for a Heavyweight and Patterns, both of which would be turned into movies. If you have not seen either of them, you really should, especially Requiem for a Heavyweight. It is mind-blowing drama. So good. Serling had a voice, and he wanted to express himself, and he used the Twilight Zone to explore often controversial topics, which could be cloaked in science fiction and the paranormal. He would serve as the executive producer and head writer of The Twilight Zone, and during the show's 156 episodes, he wrote or co-wrote 92 of the episodes. He was also the show's host and narrator. He also had a very distinctive way of speaking that has been very imitated since he started appearing on television and is still imitated by a lot of people today. Serling was a pretty darn good narrator, but oddly enough, he was not his own first choice to narrate the show. Nor was he the network's first choice. They wanted Orson Welles as the narrator host. Now, I think Rod Serling is perfect as the narrator host of The Twilight Zone, but it would have been pretty cool to see and hear Orson Welles be the host of the show. Welles, I guess fortunately, wanted too much money. Serling wanted Richard Egan, an actor at the time, who had a very rich voice. But due to his contract at the time, Egan was unable to commit. And I read that Serling said something like, if I can't get Richard Egan, I'll do this thing myself, which fortunately for us is exactly what happened. The narration would change over time, but there were elements that are very well known. Serling talks about the fifth dimension. Originally, Serling had chosen 
the sixth dimension to be used in season one's opening narration. When asked by someone at CBS why he had chosen six, Serling said, I don't know, aren't there five? When he was told, no, there are four, he changed it to five. I've actually heard Serling interviewed, and he talked about how he loved to adapt science fiction, but he also felt that he, as a science fiction writer, didn't have the greatest grasp on the subject matter. He didn't seem to have any shame about it either. You'll often hear people imitating Rod Serling saying, submitted for your approval from the opening narration. This was actually only used in three episodes of The Twilight Zone. Cavender is coming, In Praise of Pip, and A Kind of Stopwatch. That last one is a good episode. Today's show is brought to you by your local pizza parlor. Love pizza? Get some pizza. We're having a pizza party with lots of pizza hot and hearty. Won't you join the party too? pizza. Where does the term the Twilight Zone come from? Serling had thought that he had come up with the term Twilight Zone on his own and thought it sounded pretty cool. After the show was on the air though he started to hear from people that said it is an actual term. He might have picked it up because he was a paratrooper and it is a term used by the Air Force when crossing the night-day sides of the world you enter the Twilight Zone. A completely different show had they gone with that definition. The first thing you will notice when watching The Twilight Zone, it has a wonderful logo. That logo was crafted by UPA Pictures in 1958. The person in charge of that creating was Herb Klin. The titles were done entirely in black and white. Rudy LaRiva was the director-animator of the sequence. Sam Clayberger drew the layout and painted the backgrounds. And Joe Maserli designed and painted the logos. If you check it out, you will see that it is a wonderful work of art. Sort of looks otherworldly and it really does capture the essence of the show. So where did the Twilight Zone come from? Rod Serling in the 1950s was a big name in television. As I mentioned, he had two huge award-winning teleplays, Patterns, which had been made for the Kraft Television Theater, and Requiem for a Heavyweight, which had been made for Playhouse 90. But while he liked writing these pieces, he found it very annoying to have his work edited and changed by the network and sponsors. So he started to think, how can I get more controversial content on television? And then the idea of doing it in a science fiction setting seemed perfect because robots or supernatural things could substitute for real-world ideas and people. Serling came up with a pilot called The Time Element, which was a time travel adventure about a man who goes back to try to stop the attack on Pearl Harbor. The script was rejected, sadly, but would be picked up and produced by Desilu Playhouse in 1958. That broadcast was a very big success and enabled Serling to finally create his own anthology series, which would become The Twilight Zone. 
The series was produced by Cayuga Productions, which was named after a lake in central New York State, where Serling is from. It was also where his house was located. Serling invited viewers to submit scripts for this new show, and he would receive 14,000 scripts over the many seasons that The Twilight Zone was on. He would get around to reading about 500 of them. Of those 500, he thought two were pretty decent, but they were never produced because he did not think that they fit the format of the show properly. I'm going to quickly go through the different seasons of the show, and to start off, I'm going to play the intro, and you will hear how the intro changed from season to season, and we'll talk a little bit about the music later on and who produced it, and you'll hear the change. Here is Twilight Zone Season 1. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. The Twilight Zone premiered on October 2nd, 1959, and the media loved it. Critics thought it was great. Unfortunately, it did not find a huge television audience. Throughout season one, things were iffy, and it wasn't until they went on a brief hiatus and came back that they were able to beat their competition on ABC and NBC and convince their sponsors, Kimberly Clark and General Foods, to stay on till the end of the season. So the whole show almost died between October and November. Crazy how different television history might have been had it not moved forward. Throughout the Twilight Zone's run, there was a great number of people writing for it, but there were three powerhouse names working on the show as writers. They were Rod Serling, of course, Charles Beaumont, and Richard Matheson. They would be responsible for 127 of the show's 156 episodes, and some of the most memorable were cranked out by them. We'll talk a little bit more about the writers later, but let's move on to Season 2. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. In this season, Colgate Palmolive replaced Kimberly Clark. That wasn't that big a deal, but a new network exec took over CBS, a guy named James Aubrey. He was trying to get the show's budget down. And a very controversial thing happens during season two. They ask them to shoot on videotape instead of film. This format precluded them from shooting outside, so they needed to have indoor setups, and those episodes feel sort of stilted. Some of them still pretty decent. The episodes that are on videotape are 22, Static, The Whole Truth, The Night of the Meek, Long Distance Call, and The Lateness of the Hour. I always thought that these were later season when I was a kid because they looked so different. I thought, wow, this must be the end of the Twilight Zone when they had shifted to some new format. But no, these were done in season two. Now for season three. You're traveling through another dimension. 
a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. In his third year now, as producer, narrator, writer, and host of the Twilight Zone, Serling was exhausted. He's quoted as saying, I've never felt quite so drained of ideas as I do at this moment. He was only 37 at the time. In the first two seasons, he had written 48 scripts. That was 73% of all the episodes made. So, in this season, he cut it down, and only contributed 56% of the show's total output. In the spring of 62, the show was having a hard time finding a sponsor for its fourth season, and because of this, it was replaced on the fall schedule with a new show called Fair Exchange. So, everybody thought the show was cancelled, and the producer of the show, Buck Houghton, left to work at Four Star Productions, and Serling took a teaching post at Antioch College, which was his alma mater. Because of this, Serling's contribution would decrease during the show's final seasons. Now for season four. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. In November of 62, CBS decided that Twilight Zone would come back. Notice I said Twilight Zone, not the Twilight Zone. The show was popular enough that they didn't need the the anymore. It would come back as a Mid-season replacement for Fair Exchange starting in January. The problem was is that Fair Exchange was an hour-long show, so they needed to increase the length of the Twilight Zone from a half hour to an hour. The big problem with this is that most of the writers and the people behind the show thought it was a perfect half-hour show and that to stretch one story to an hour would really be a bad idea. Herbert Hirschman was brought in to replace producer Buck Houghton, who had left, and he decided to direct a brand new opening. This one illustrated the door, eye, and window that would become pretty famous as the Twilight Zone intro that everybody remembers. Serling, while diminished in his role as producer, he still produced a great amount of this season's scripts, along with Matheson and Beaumont. Unfortunately, because he was away, he couldn't do his narrations like he used to where he would appear on the set. Instead, they would be shot on a gray background. Season 5 had the same intro as Season 4. In Season 5, it seemed that Serling was spent. He was quoted as saying, I was writing so much, I felt I had begun to lose my perspective on what was good and what was bad. Beaumont had become very sick and was no longer able to contribute to the show. The good news is that the show was knocked back down to a half hour, which allowed them to create some pretty memorable episodes still, some maybe the most memorable, episodes like A Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Living Doll, and A Kind of Stopwatch. In January of 64, CBS announced that the show would be canceled. They cited that it was far over budget and it didn't get the ratings necessary. Serling struck back, telling Daily Variety that he had decided to cancel the network there was interest in bringing the Twilight Zone over to ABC, 
but they wanted to change the name of the show to Witches, Warlocks, and Werewolves to keep it very supernaturally, which Serling wasn't all that impressed with at the time. He said he liked doing shows that could take place in the supernatural, but didn't want to have that as a limitation, something that he kind of would do later in Night Gallery. Very soon after all of this happened, Serling decided to sell his 40% share in the Twilight Zone to CBS and would leave the Twilight Zone and all shows like it behind him until, of course, 1969, when Night Gallery debuted. After these messages, we will return. We're traveling through a dimension both of sound and ideas. We're at a place where the mind can comprehend and devise a solar radio, a wireless transmitter, measure time and light. 65 electronic projects brought to reality with this science fair kit. Astonishing, perhaps, but you can find it for Christmas for $17.95 in a place that's known as Radio Shack. Radios, stereos, recorders, everything in sound. Man has walked on the moon. But do you or your children really know how he did it? How he got there? How his space vehicles work? Or about the universe that man now so freely travels? Have you considered all the new careers that man's quest in space has created? Well, much of this has been written, but it's spread out like space itself. The people at Gulf who brought you so much space news know that. Now they have put all of this material into this collector's edition called We Came in Peace. It's a permanent 75-page book with full-color illustrations. We Came in Peace tells you the full story of one of man's greatest accomplishments. Clearly, simply, completely. I can tell you, as a man who's been associated with another end of space, that I've learned things from this book. Since your name isn't Rod Serling, just think of all that you can learn from We Came in Peace. Buy your copy at any participating Gulf station for $1. And now... Back to the show. Writers for the Twilight Zone included Charles Beaumont and Richard Matheson, who are powerhouses in the writing field. Matheson, who recently passed away, also wrote I Am Legend and many other great things. Beaumont, who passed away at only 36, has a incredible amount of short stories that are worth checking out. In addition to those two, you had people like Ray Bradbury, Jerry Saul, Richard Rose, and adaptations from people like Jerome Bixby and Ambrose Bierce. There were a lot of talented people behind the camera. There were also a ton of talented people in front of the camera. If you watch The Twilight Zone and have any knowledge of celebrities, you will spot people who were in TV in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and up till the 80s. People you would probably still recognize. Some of my favorites are Peter Falk, Dennis Hopper, Ron Howard, Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, Burt Reynolds, Jack Klugman, Art Carney, Buster Keaton, Ida Lupino. The names just go on and on and on. There were a lot of actors who appeared more than once, but the actor who appeared in the most episodes, besides Serling, who was the narrator, was Robert McCord, who made 29 appearances on The Twilight Zone. 26 of them were uncredited. My favorite actor of all the recurring actors is Jack Klugman, who would appear in four seasons, the first, third, fourth, and fifth. Go Quincy. Now with a little bit more information about one of the talented people on this show is Vic Sage with another Why Should I Know This Person.
Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we are shining the spotlight on Twilight Zone alumni, Charles Beaumont. Born Charles Leroy Nutt on January 2nd, 1929 in Chicago, it can truly be said that he had a difficult childhood. During his early years, his mother dressed him in girls' clothes, and there are conflicting reports on if she merely threatened to kill his dog or did so as an act of punishment. These experiences would inspire him to write the celebrated short story, Miss Gentile Bell. He would eventually change his last name and move into the care of five of his aunts that operated a boarding house. Charles dropped out of high school in 10th grade and joined the army. He was discharged, however, three months later due to back problems. He then tried acting, and when that didn't pan out, he sold illustrations to various pulp magazines. He also worked as a railroad clerk in Mobile, Alabama, and as an animator for MGM. By the time Charles was 20 years old, he was already writing prolifically, as he had penned 72 stories but couldn't find anyone to buy them. That changed, though, in 1951, when the science fiction magazine Amazing Stories published The Devil, You Say. By the end of the decade, Charles was successfully writing for motion pictures and television. Beaumont wrote 22 episodes for The Twilight Zone, and most of them are considered classics. He penned the episodes Perchance to Dream, Elegy, Long Live Walter Jameson, A Nice Place to Visit, The Howling Man, Static, The Prime Mover, Long Distance Call, Shadow Play, The Jungle, Dead Man's Shoes, The Fugitive, Person or Persons Unknown, In His Image, Valley of the Shadow, Miniature, Printer's Devil, The New Exhibit, Passage on the Lady Anne, Living Doll, Number 12 Looks Just Like You, and Queen of the Nile. Charles wrote episodes for other notable TV series including Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Have Gun Will Travel, Alcoa Theater, Thriller, Route 66, and Suspense to name a few. Beaumont would have no doubt continued to entertain audiences with his writing, but in 1964 he fell victim to a combination of Pick's disease and early onset Alzheimer's. He passed away on February 21, 1967. Instead of my usual sign-off, I will leave you with the closing narration for Perchance to Dream. They say a dream takes only a second or so, and yet in that second, a man can live a lifetime. He can suffer and die, and who's to say which is the greater reality, the one we know or the one in dreams, between heaven, the sky, the earth, and the twilight zone. Thanks, Vic. The music you heard in the show intros were by two people. Season 1's moody, more subtle theme was created by Bernard Herman. Herman was the man behind the music of Citizen Kane, Psycho, and Taxi Driver. Amazing talent. The Twilight Zone theme that everyone knows, the second Twilight Zone theme, was written by Marius Constant. The pieces were originally commissioned by CBS in the late 50s, but were unused until the second season of The Twilight Zone. Because he had sold the rights to his work, he would receive no screen credit or royalties, despite the major success of this theme song. If you like Twilight Zone music, there have been several releases that you can look online, pick some up, enjoy. The Bernard Herrmann stuff is great, the Jerry Goldsmith is good, the Nathan Van Cleve. It's all great music to have on in the background, but I warn you, it will make you want to watch The Twilight Zone, which it should.
The Twilight Zone was never the ratings darling that CBS hoped it would be, but it is critically one of the more well-received television shows of all time. It was also nominated for and won some awards in 1959. It was nominated for four Primetime Emmy Awards and won two. In the seasons that would follow, there would be four more nominations and two more wins for Serling and the show. A big item of contention among Twilight Zone fans are, what are the best episodes of the Twilight Zone? So, you know what that means. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the classic anthology series, The Twilight Zone. This is a tough one, folks. So many classics to choose from, but I've done my best to represent their retroist sensibility with these picks. If you have a different top five that you'd like to put forth, feel free to post a comment at retroist.com. At number five is season five, episode six, Living Doll. Written by Charles Beaumont, originally aired on November 1st, 1963. Talkie Tina is a doll that young Christy received as a present from her mom a gift Christie's cruel father, Eric, played by Telly Savalas, views as an extravagance. When he's left alone with Tina, she warns, My name is Talkie Tina, and I don't think I like you. At the end of the episode, Eric gets up to investigate a noise in the night, finds Tina directly in his path and trips, sending him down the stairs to his death, fulfilling her creepiest threat. My name is Talkie Tina, and I'm going to kill you. Number four is Season 1, Episode 5, Walking Distance, written by Rod Serling, originally aired on October 30th, 1959. Marty Sloan is a businessman who hates his life. The stress of work is getting him down. When his car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, he goes to a gas station seeking repairs and realizes he grew up very close to where they are. It's within walking distance. He journeys on foot to his hometown and finds things exactly as they were when he was a child. He soon realizes he's gone back in time. Number three is Season 5, Episode 3, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Written by Richard Matheson, originally aired on October 11, 1963, this story was also the basis of a segment in 1983's Twilight Zone, the movie. Robert Wilson, played by William Shatner, is a salesman taking his first flight after having a nervous breakdown, a flight not helped by the gremlin he keeps seeing on the wing of the plane, a creature only he seems to see. Fearful that the little monster is going to bring down the plane, Mr. Wilson takes a gun from a sleeping policewoman and opens the jet's exit to shoot at the gremlin. Naturally, Wilson is detained upon landing, but no one can explain the strange damage done to the fuselage, evidence that he's not so mad after all. At number two is Season 3, Episode 8, It's a Good Life. Teleplay by Rod Serling, based on a short story by Jerome Bixby, originally aired on October 11, 1963. It was also used as a segment in Twilight Zone the movie. Anthony Fremont is a kid with impressive mental powers. He can make it snow, read people's thoughts, and make objects, animals, and people disappear. The adults in Anthony's life find this all very terrifying and tread lightly around him, praising every move he makes to stay on his good side. That's until Dan the Drunk shows up and tells little Anthony what a horrible child he really is. The reward for such honesty? Dan is turned into a human jack-in-the-box, and nobody better tell Anthony they've got an issue with that. 
And the number one episode of The Twilight Zone is Season 1, Episode 8, Time Enough at Last. Teleplay by Rod Serling, based on a short story by Lynn Venable, originally aired on November 20th, 1959. All that Henry Bemis, portrayed by Burgess Meredith, wants to do is read his books. He's not concerned with being a good employee at the bank, or really even with being a productive member of society. Actually, his only wish is for society to go away so that he can spend more time reading. The day after his boss yells at him, Bemis decides to eat his lunch in the bank's vault to have some quiet time with a book. As he enjoys some literary solitude, a hydrogen bomb detonates above. The world has been obliterated, leaving just the far-sighted Bemis and libraries full of books to coexist until the end of his days. His joy with this new situation is short-lived as his glasses fall off his face, cracking the lenses, leaving him no means to fulfill his personal reading fantasy. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the original television series, The Twilight Zone. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. Almost immediately, The Twilight Zone would run in syndication and has been running in syndication ever since, which is a real bummer for Serling and his estate because he probably would have made a fortune had he not sold his percentage back to CBS. Originally, there were five episodes not included in the syndication package. Three of them were involved in lawsuits, an occurrence at Owl Creek, which was only aired twice as an agreement with the makers of it, and... The final one was The Encounter, which was pulled after its initial showing. The Encounter is noteworthy. It stars Neville Brand as Fenton and George Takei as Arthur Takamori. And it is a crazy episode that deals with the fallout of World War II and Japanese-American relations. And was pulled because there were complaints from Japanese-American groups. The thing about it is it's a good episode. I don't know if you've ever seen George Takei get a role like this, but he knocks it out of the park. And it makes you wish that they had given him bigger parts during Star Trek, because he really does a great job with this episode. I would have been very happy if the show just stayed in syndication, but here was a real treat for Twilight Zone fans. The show was remade twice. I have covered the 1985 remake in another episode, so go check it out. There was also a 2002 version of the show, which is now 11 years old. Crazy. That one was narrated by Forrest Whitaker. It had the hour-long format with two half-hour stories. Sadly, unlike the original or even the 85 version, the ratings didn't go anywhere, and it only had one season. In December of 2012, Brian Singer, the director, said that he was in discussions with CBS to revive The Twilight Zone again. And in early 2013, he said that there was still a lot of interest in it, although I have not heard much since. I was very excited in 1994 because Richard Matheson and Carol Serling created a special called Rod Serling's Lost Classics. It debuted on May 19, 2004 and repackaged Serling's Where the Dead Are, which was written after The Twilight Zone, and The Theater from Matheson. I thought it was really good at the time. It didn't seem that other people did, and I might have been one of the few people watching it, because although they wanted to create more of the show, they never did. This summer, four acclaimed directors, George Miller, John Landis, 
Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg take you to another dimension. Twilight Zone, the movie, rated PG. Now playing. Check newspapers for local listings. In 1983, Twilight Zone, the movie, came out. It was produced by Steven Spielberg and would star Albert Brooks, John Lithgow, Vic Morrow, Dan Aykroyd, and Scatman Crothers. It wasn't an original idea for a film. Instead, it remade classic episodes into a film. It's probably best known now because the first segment, which was directed by John Landis, resulted in the death of Vic Morrow and two child actors in a very bad helicopter accident. I enjoy the Twilight Zone movie, but I am open to more Twilight Zone movies, and luckily, other people are big fans, people in Hollywood, and actor Leonardo DiCaprio is one of them. He has been trying to make a new movie with Warner Brothers. Instead of it being anthology-based, though, it will be based on a long story, maybe taking elements from other Serling scripts and putting them all together into a Twilight Zone. In late summer of this year, director Joseph Kaczynski was linked to the film, so it could happen. I would love to see The Twilight Zone on the big screen. While I am a big fan of the big screen, I am sometimes even a bigger fan for something with no screen, and by that I mean radio. In 2002, Carl Amari licensed the rights to turn the TV series into a radio drama. The series features Stacy Keach in the Rod Serling role as narrator, and the audio drama has a lot of great celebrities. You can find it on lots of radio stations. It's always a treat if you're driving somewhere and you turn and there's the Twilight Zone. It is also on Sirius XM, and many are available for download online. You cannot have a great show like The Twilight Zone without having a lot of great products, and there have been many over the years, including board games, comic books, pinball machines, a text adventure video game, and many more things, including, in 2009, a stamp, which was released by the U.S. Postal Service, and it featured Rod Serling in his narrator role right there on the stamp. Hopefully, like me, you loaded up on those. If you happen to live in L.A. or Seattle, you can catch The Twilight Zone live. I cannot vouch for the Los Angeles version, but the Seattle version is still running, and I cannot wait to go check it out. I have often gotten my Twilight Zone fix when I have gone to Disney parks because they have the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. The ride is located in many of the Disney theme parks, including the one in Florida, California, Paris, and Tokyo. It is a ride that often makes me sick, but the theming, especially at the Florida one, which I love, makes me so happy. Just hearing Rod Serling's voice, even if it's fake, again, and being pulled into a Twilight Zone, it makes me feel very warm inside. If you want to own the Twilight Zone, it is available on many, many formats and has been for a long, long time. I originally started collecting it on VHS. I now own the entire series on Blu-ray in HD, and I love it. If you are a fan and don't want to buy the DVDs, check on local streaming services like Hulu or Netflix. After these messages, we will return. Every new car looks great outside, but inside. Look at all the hidden, boxed-in places where rust can get started. Well, that's where the Z-Bart rust-proofing people go to work. 
with nine patented spray tools and a unique sealant that really fights rust. Zivart Rust Proofing. You can't get it from a car dealer or from anybody else, only from Zivart. That's why they say Zivart. It's us or rust. This is the Morgan family coming home from the lake. Ed and Marilyn have been married 12 years. That's Kelly, Sue, and Casey in the back seat. They've driven this road a dozen times before, and nothing ever happened. But today is different. Today, Ed will become a killer. And here's his weapon. Good old Ed Morgan. A mighty careful man in his own home. He can't imagine how anyone could have been so careless. Ed Morgan, every man, anyone who handles fire in any form is a potential killer. Anyone can start a fire and never even know it. Please be very careful with fire. Please. Only you can prevent forest fires. And now, back to the show. I wanted to finish up by asking you a question, something that I always talk about with people, friends. What is the nature of the Twilight Zone? Is it a tangible place, a place that we can travel to, somewhere we are drawn into that is there for a reason? Or is it a metaphor for the odd happenstance that is happening to the people in the stories? Because of the way the narrator presents the show, I am led to believe that it is a tangible place. And then it makes me wonder, what purpose does it serve? It seems to be there to teach us a lesson. Sometimes those lessons are not as consistent as they could be. And it does seem to be concerned with justice. Do you think that the Twilight Zone has, as a place, an agenda? And why does it exist? If you've watched these shows dozens of times and maybe are a little tired of them, rewatch them and think about these questions because Serling and Matheson and Beaumont and everyone involved in this show were incredible writers who explored very deep topics and they crafted a universe around, I guess, the ideology of their stories. And that universe is the Twilight Zone. So to maybe understand and find a golden thread that runs throughout all these shows would explain a lot about the talented people behind the camera, maybe even behind the paper and pen. If you start doing this, I would love to hear from you. If you ever want to chat about it, come onto the site. I'd love to hear what you think, and I would love to share more of my opinions on The Twilight Zone. It is one of the greatest television shows ever made. I'd like to say that that's my opinion. I'd also like to say that that's just a fact. It is an incredible body of work, and... If you know someone who has not seen The Twilight Zone or who does not appreciate it, try to reshare it with them. Let them in on this cultural masterpiece. This is not just TV. This is a gift they can carry with them their whole life. I know I have. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you have some list suggestions, you can email Metagirl at metagirl at retroist.com.
Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. You can find Vic on the Retroist all the time. If you'd like to send some feedback to Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. It has been a great pleasure presenting the Twilight Zone in podcast format. Thank you for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.